You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Okay, everybody will come on back in. This is Amy Squires. Everyone say hello, Amy. And um, give her $5. No. You'll take it. Amy has a testimony. So let's give it up for Amy. Thanks. Um, So I went to a women's retreat last weekend. And um, the Lord really did something for me there. Cool. Um, I guess about five or six years ago, I had... um, an experience where a lot of shame came on me, shame for who I, how I worship the Lord. So not shame for sin or something like that, um, but shame for who I am. So like my identity. Um, and I went to this women's retreat and on Friday night, the lady started talking about soul wounds and I was like, Oh my gosh, whatever, you know, just not really thinking much about that. Um, the Lord really dropped in my spirit that that was what I had experienced was a soul wound and that he was wanting to heal it. And he was wanting to really um, take me back to my first love. And uh, so, you know, oh, great. That sounds great. The next morning I woke up and I thought, "Mm, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know the first step to getting healed. I feel like I've been, you know, pleading with the Lord for five years to have this wound inside of me taken away. And, um, just silence is all I ever heard was silence. Um, but throughout the weekend, I didn't really do anything. I just felt like I made myself available to the Lord saying yes, just saying yes to him. And, um, And he took me on a journey of healing that wound inside of me. And the wound came from the body of Christ. It came from a church that we were at. And um, I'm going to be real honest. My husband's a pastor here, and I didn't want to be. I wanted to not come to church. I wanted my husband to leave the ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor's wife because I didn't feel like I had anything in me that, um, that I wanted to be here. And the Lord really healed that. And so I just want to encourage you. Well, for one thing, I want to apologize for being in that space. And We do not accept your apology. Well, I still want to say it. And I want to say that I want to be here now. And, I'm, you know, I really want to care for people. I really want to care for each person. And I also want to tell you that if you're in a season of hurt that you feel like you're not going to come out of and you can't see a way, just have patience with yourself and with the Lord. And he's going to make a way for you out of that. Come on. So. 
Amen. So, um, let's just take it back over here. Thank you. Wow. That's what the Holy Spirit did for Amy. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. I do have, um, I have a prophetic promise for, uh, for us for this year, um, the year we're coming into. And I was, um, I had a, I was thinking about a friend of mine, it's a guy named Dutch Sheets. He's a pretty remarkable guy. And I wanted to send him one of my books, Harbinger of Hope, 1895, Amazon. <laughs> or out of the back of my car, and I do take credit debit cards. <laughs> and um, so uh, he sent me his address, and I like to I like to sign book the books. You know, it's I've been working on my signatures, getting pretty sharp looking. <laughs> and um, as I was signing it, the Lord did not give me a Bible verse; He gave me a Bible reference. The difference is, it was just the numbers. It was Romans 9, 9. And when I looked it up, it says this. For this, this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And I believe we're entering into, and Amy is an, an example this morning. She's actually a testimony about what's going to begin happening as of Saturday. That's when I got the word. People are going to begin to get the breakthroughs they've been after. And I really do believe this is going to be a a year of breakthrough. So, yeah, great word, Amy. So thankful. Um, You don't need to apologize to me. You've never offended me. I am pretty resilient, though. But, uh, no. So good. Awesome. Let's praise the Lord for Amy. Yeah, and for what the Lord did. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my. My, so, so good. Um, In looking at Acts chapter 2, which is um, all about Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit, I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction because so much of the first part of the book of Acts is about the Apostle Peter and a lot of the second part of the book of Acts is about the Apostle Paul. But um, preliminary to... What happens in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter experienced the most stressful, exciting, frightening, and transformation period perhaps of his whole life. He was a Galilean fisherman, and he was in an eight-week period that began with the crucifixion of Jesus and ended with the Jesus of Jesus, and all of this is so bizarre in some ways, but I, I believe it. Jesus ascended, and you just wonder what, how much, how much can somebody take? I mean, when you, you go through these very trying and difficult circumstances, and I'm convinced the Lord doesn't do those things to us, but I do know that during periods of stress and things that try us, it can actually develop in us a capacity to receive something um, 
very profound. And I think that's really what was going on with Peter. But during those weeks, Peter lost and denied his very best friend, who, of course, was the Lord Jesus. He lost the admiration of his fellow apostles and the disciples because of uh, his public denunciation of Jesus with oaths and curses. It's probably the worst period in Peter's entire life. Then Jesus resurrected from the dead. He reinstated Peter. Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to over 500 people on 12 separate occasions, and he spent a 40-day span appearing and teaching the disciples and the apostles on the kingdom of God. It's very interesting. We have no idea. We don't have his teaching other than what we have in the gospels before. But he taught the apostles and the, and the disciples, appearing to over 500 people on, on the kingdom of God. Then Jesus leaves them by ascending up into heaven before their very eyes, but not before he gives them both a command and a promise. And the command was to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father was and is the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think there seems to be a differentiation in um, how people experience the Holy Spirit up until the day of Pentecost. Jesus said the Holy Spirit um, is with you, but he shall be in you. And what Jesus was saying is there is a much more prof- there will be a much more profound experience with um, the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, after I leave. I'll send him back. He's the promise of the Father. And so we come now then to Acts chapter 2, and I believe I've got, um, I have some verses on overhead I'd like to read so you can uh, actually see what was going on. And we're going to see what actually happened. So verse 1, you want to read this together? You want me to read it to you? All in favor of everybody saying it together, say aye. Everyone in favor of saying it all together, say aye. Uh, The ayes have it. Okay. Ready? On the day of Pentecost, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now... At that time, there were Jewish worshipers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? Yet we hear them speaking 
of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? Or you could say, what does this mean? Verse 13. But others poked fun at them them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. And then I skipped all the way over to the verse 39. What we have actually seen in Acts chapter 2 was the initial fulfillment of the promise of the Father, which was the giving of the Holy Spirit. But verse 39, Peter is now preaching. And what Peter does after his experience with the Holy Spirit, he goes from having with the other apostles, they had been locking themselves up for fear of the Jews. Now, this is that 10-day period between the ascension of Jesus and when the Holy Spirit came. There was a 10-day period where the apostles and other disciples prayed together, at least 120 of them. After the Holy Spirit came, not only was Peter not locking himself up in a room, he had gone out into the streets of Jerusalem at this very moment and begun to preach the gospel, call people to repentance, and offer them the gift of eternal life. And so he made this amazing turnaround And I think we need to recognize that. And we need to recognize this in verse 39. Is that up there? Let's read that. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for who? You, your families, for those yet to be born, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so what we're seeing here is um, it said when the... Feast of Pentecost. They had several feasts in Israel. I can't catch you all up to speed if you don't know about the feast. But there was Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, a couple of other little ones in between some of the big ones. But Pentecost was became the, the feast of harvest. It, it happened during harvest time. And the original Pentecost had happened many, 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 many years before after the original Passover. The original Passover was when the children of God, children of Israel were in Egypt and they killed the Passover lamb. They put the blood over their doors. The death angel passed over them, and um, they escaped bondage, Egyptian bondage. And 50 days later, Moses received the Ten Commandments. Well, 50 is what Pentecost means. And so Pentecost was basically 50 days after Passover. And when Moses got the Ten Commandments and he brought them down the mountain, all of Israel had begun to worship a golden calf. And I don't understand how all this happened, but by the time it was over, 3,000 people died because of their disobedience. But when you begin to read the New Testament and you see this verse on the day Pentecost was fulfilled, in other words, the actual fulfillment of what that feast had been celebrating for generations was on this day when the Holy Ghost came, And 3,000 people were saved unto life. And so you have these comparisons between the way people understood God in the Old Testament and the way we understand God in the face of Christ Jesus, the one who would give his life, not be taking people's lives. And so Peter has received 
in a moment in time, an empowerment from the Holy Ghost, from the Holy Spirit that emboldened him to the degree that he could call to task people who were actually involved in the murder of Jesus and convince them to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And 3,000 people did that on one day. It's remarkable. But that is as an example of what the Holy Spirit can do one person's life. Now, when I look at the most significant events in human history, to me, here are the top five. You want my top five? Sure you do. Take notes. The virgin birth of Jesus. God became one of us. The crucifixion of Jesus. The place God absorbed our sin and our sicknesses. I've got verses. I won't get into them. The third one was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which was the proof of his message, the proof of his divinity. His ascension, incredible. And the fifth one is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one of the five most significant things that ever happened in human history is because when the Holy Spirit came, he became to those people who received him exactly what a personal relationship with Jesus was to the apostles before Jesus was crucified. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus actually said, I'm leaving. And they say, no, you can't leave. We're just about to get this thing straightened out here. We're going to make Israel the top nation in the world. We're going to kick the Romans out. See, every time God began to move, people wanted to make it a political event. But Jesus refused to give in to that. He was saying, no, there's something else I'm trying to do. I am trying to empower lives to affect people one-on-one, which will eventually affect neighborhoods, towns, cities, states, and nations. We want things to happen from the top down. Well, this would work if the government would just make everybody do the right thing. It doesn't work. Jesus says, here's my plan. I have been fully empowered with the Holy Spirit. And after I die, after I'm raised from the dead, I'm going to go back to heaven. And you will know my mission worked when the Holy Spirit comes back to you. Because it's better for you if I leave. I can only be with a few people at the same time. But when the Holy Ghost comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be to you what I have been now to individuals. And the power of the Spirit of God can absolutely transform, energize, and change people's lives if we let him. How about that? Okay. I recommend QT. Actually, Don and I, Don Hardister and I, have done a random test of the best um, mixed non-alcoholic beverages in the city. (laughs) McDonald's, no. Burger King, mm. QT. I felt myself getting a little bit too intense. I had to go to the QT message there. Now... Speaking of my book, Harbinger of Hope, actually, I was the one. 
Chapter 13 is on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to read a little bit to you because I think it helps set the stage to why um, the Holy Spirit is so important. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a power. It's not a force. He is God. He is God. He thinks he is. He's under the um, idea that he's actually God, and he's a person. One of the things I've noticed, if you read the Old Testament, a lot of times the spirit is um, compared to water, to a river, to rain, to rushing streams, and um, to wind. And actually, if when you when you read the um, the Passion Translation, and it talks about Acts chapter two, one of and it, in several other places, it it actually when it describes the outpouring of the Spirit, it talks about the Spirit having been splashed down upon people. And I thought, that's a very strange picture. But the thing is, and I don't understand this, but I really have seen it for years, there are times when the Spirit is poured out that He just sort of will get over, get on people and then sort of spill out on other people who don't even understand what's going on or haven't sort of uh, voted to be in on it yet. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. And, and, and the problem I have with the Lord, uh, let me, Amy was honest earlier, I'll be honest. The problem I have with the Lord is he's not quite the way I thought he was going to be. I mean, if I was going to do one of the five most significant things in the world, which would be sending the Holy Spirit to empower people, I would not have done it the way he did it. There should have been headlines. There should have been some kind of a band. There should have been like a conference or some kind of event. But instead, when the Holy Spirit came, people began to speak in tongues. In this case, there were languages other people understood. There's other evidence in the New Testament that they're uh, they're tongues of angels, men and angels. Though I speak in the tongues of men and angels, Yet have I not love, I'm as, and and on it goes. Uh, So it's very interesting that um, that God is is not exactly the way we we think he should be. But here's what I do know. We need the power of the Spirit in our lives. And I wrote this, um, like I said, the power of the Holy Spirit, chapter 13 in my book. It says this, our connection to the Holy Spirit must be both powerful and subjective. When I mean subjective, I mean um, I have a subjective viewpoint about things. It means it's not necessarily objective. It may not be entirely accurate, but it is entirely my viewpoint based on my experience. It's subjective. And so what we need to happen is for people to have a subjective encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it should be an encounter, and it should be an event. It should be something that actually happens. It's not just a theological construct about who does and does not have have the Spirit. A, A true encounter with the Holy Spirit will empower you in some way, shape, or form. Now, they won't all be the same, and we don't need to try to make everybody do a certain thing. 
But we need to take from the Bible this idea that when we receive an impartation of the Holy Spirit, there should be something that happens to us or inside of us or something that enables us to do something maybe we haven't ever done before. And so I write here that we fall short of the full empowerment God has provided for us when we settle for a theological knowledge of him instead of a living relationship, one that energizes, inspires, empowers, and fortifies us. Just before Jesus' ascension, he emphasized to his followers the importance of waiting on the Holy Spirit until he came to them in power. And we have, we've just read this in Acts chapter 1. No, actually, we read chap, Acts, Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized. Let's say that word, baptized. Baptized. How many of you were here the day I did the cucumber pickle demonstration? Yeah, a good number of you. We were baptizing um, in water, and um, so I had a cucumber, and I took a bite of a raw cucumber, and I spit it out. I thought that would be a very cool thing to do. And put it down. I said, man, that tastes terrible. And then I got a big old pickle out of a jar. And a pickle is a cucumber that has been baptized in a certain solution. Now, the reason I mention that is that word baptized is used in um, a several thousand year old pickle recipe about how you turn a cucumber into a pickle. And when you were baptized, when that cucumber was baptized and became a pickle, there was actually a transformation that occurred. It wasn't something just in their minds. It was something they experienced. And so when people give their lives to Jesus, we say you should be baptized in water. And you can go down in that water and come out completely the same, or you can go down in that water and by faith come out Someone who is different because you have been truly baptized. You didn't just get wet like a pickle. You, cucumber, you got pickled. (laughs) Something happened. You're not the same. Now, you're not perfect. Andy said a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Holy Spirit is not a silver bullet. And what he means by that, it's not a cure-all. You're still going to have problems, but I'm going to tell you this. I would rather have problems with the Holy Spirit on board than without him. Good word. Now, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so vital that Jesus identified him as the promise of the Father. Our relationship with God is based primarily upon his promises. Since God cannot lie, we build our faith by believing those things he's promised. Some have said that the Bible contains more than 7,000 promises, but only the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father. The apostles walked, lived, observed, were instructed by Jesus for more than three years. 
Now listen to this. This is so vital. Yet that experience alone was not enough to prepare them to fulfill their mission. That almost sounds like heresy, except it's not. The apostles were afraid of their enemies, locked themselves behind closed doors until after they had a power encounter with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Jesus identified power as the primary characteristic his disciples would experience when the Holy Spirit came to them. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, what did the power look like when the Holy Spirit came? How did it affect Jesus' faithful followers? You know, the interesting thing is, how many of you remember the number of people that were in the upper room at Pentecost? What was that number? Let's say 120. 120. How many people did Jesus appear to? Over 500. My point is this. We need to take to heart what Jesus said about what's important. Out of the 500 people he appeared to and taught, um, less than a third actually did what he said. And they were involved in one of the five greatest things that ever happened in the world. That's, that's the way I look at that. Now, people who saw what happened on, in the upper room described the scene as confusing, amazing, Marvelous, perplexing. Others mocked the proceedings and determined the 120 were drunk on new wine. Peter didn't deny that they were intoxicated, but he explained that their behavior was a different kind of intoxication. Now, there's, um, there's a Catholic bishop. His name is uh, Friar Raniero Cantalamesa. He is actually the preacher to the Pope. And here's what he said. He said, on the day Pentecost came in fullness, the followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. We tend to overlook Peter's opening words to the crowd that first Pentecost morning to our own peril. His denial of drunkenness in the wake of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit should stop us in our tracks. What was going on here? How did the apostles experience the Holy Spirit? What was he teaching them? How was he empowering them? What does this scene in the streets of Jerusalem mean for us today? Now, one of the, to me, most wonderful aspects of being filled with the Spirit is joy. Um, I am amazed. I'm not going to talk a whole lot more about, about that part, although I do in the book. But the, one of the most wonderful things to me about the Lord is... Um, how much he wants to make us happy. Now, one problem when people get really dedicated to the Lord, they begin to develop attitudes and ideas that if you're not suffering, you're not in his will. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, everybody suffers. You may suffer in his will. I mean, you know, you can be persecuted. You may be persecuted. You probably will be persecuted. But so people, when, when they get serious about the Lord, 
they begin to act as though God, number one, is angry with everyone and that he's a pretty unhappy person himself when the exact opposite is true. The Bible tells us that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than anyone else. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, not hostility, anger, furrowed brow. You know, people say, man, if you're not worried, you don't understand what's going on. I want to say, if you're not happy, you don't understood, you don't understand what went on. When Jesus came, listen, Jesus comes out of the tomb. Jerusalem is basically 40 years from total annihilation by foreign powers. And Jesus comes out of the tomb and he doesn't say, run! You know what he says? Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so the church in many ways have, has lost the, the, the basic reality that knowing God accurately is inspirational, motivational, and it infuses us with joy and hope. Do you know what joy is? Joy is the manifestation of a certain level of hope. And what God wants to do is fill us to the full with hope. He wants to give us a viewpoint uh, of what goes on in our world that he's big enough to handle this and we don't have to growl and moan and argue and incite all kinds of hostility to, to get God's purpose done. You know, people like happy people. Has anybody ever seen that? You know, people like happy people. There, you know, there's some Christians, if, if I had to look like them, I wouldn't want to be one, for goodness sake. My gosh, when did, I thought Jesus rose from the dead. Oh. But the Holy Spirit will intoxicate you. He, he, will, he will touch you in such a way that those things that used to bother you bring you to depression cause you to become negative, won't even be a blip on the radar scale. Because you have something else going on inside of you that is bigger than those things outside of you. Now, you know, here I am. They cut my leg in half and put a mechanical joint in. And my wife and I have had one of the best months of our lives. It doesn't make any sense. I haven't had one day. I don't think I've had one hour where I was unhappy. It doesn't make any sense, but it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the goodness of God. It really is. My, I, I have to brag. I must. <laughs> I'm obligated. My physical therapist told me, he said, you, your recovery is in the top 5% of all the people I've ever helped. Now I went into this thing. Yeah. And that's the Lord. I mean, how could it possibly be me? I, honestly, how could it possibly be me? But I had people tell me this. I had two people tell me this. Two people told me this. They said, 
the first two years after your first two weeks after your operation, you're going to say, why in the world did I do this? And I knew it going in, but I might've told you this, went to the beach last summer, paid for this house. I watched television all week at the beach because I couldn't walk down to the beach. I just couldn't, I was, I was an effective cripple. Honestly, I could get around. The surgeon said, you didn't have any cartilage left. It was bone on bone. You had no cartilage left whatsoever in your knee. It affected my hips. It affected my back. It affected my disposition. And I'm just, I'm feeling so much better. But it's, it's God has just intervened in my life. The Spirit of God is a real person. He's not just a presence. He is a presence just like if the president of the United States or the Queen of England or somebody like that walked into the room, whether you like them or not, you would feel their presence because of their personhood. And so we we are called, Queen City Church is called to be a presence-based church. We are called to be people of the presence. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, What does the Holy Spirit do? He empowers us. Look to somebody and say, here comes some power. I see Doug Corwin on the second row. He looks like he's asleep. Wake up, Doug, and hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) I love Doug Corwin. Doug, stand up and let everybody see who you are this morning. So. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost has a sense of humor. That's my excuse. He will empower us. And he's a gift. What must you do to receive the Holy Spirit? Nothing. Believe. You, you know, honestly, it's, it's so hard to fathom this, but getting saved is easier than falling off a slippery log in a rainstorm. Years ago, the Lord told me I was responsible for getting Donna's dad saved. I thought, I can't get anybody. How am I going to get Donna's dad? That's my wife, my father-in-law. And um, I I carried that almost, we've been married by then probably 30. How long has he been gone, Donna? 10 years. So I carried that burden uh, like over 40 years or 30 years. And he had um, an aneurysm and he was in the hospital and wasn't doing very well. And I went into the hospital and... Um, I said, Papa, I'm not here as your son-in-law right now. I'm here as somebody who represents Jesus. He couldn't even talk. He was in terrible shape. And I said to him, Papa, God really loves you. And he he's forgiven you for your sins. He just wants you to believe in him. And I, I said, 
Papa, this is so easy to do. It's scary. I gave him the slippery rock rainstorm spiel, you know. And I said, do you, do you want to receive Jesus? And he squeezed my hand. And he died. Two hours later, passed away. We make life too difficult. We have help. Ladies and gentlemen, help is on the way. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, help is in the room. Ladies and gentlemen, help is in your heart by faith. God wants to empower you. I've got all these different things about what the Holy Spirit does, but I've sort of run out of time. Let me give a testimony, and then we'll, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to... Uh, just to touch people. We're going to do this a number of weeks. And, you know, we don't want to pressure people. We just want people to be hungry for God. If you be hungry for God, God will meet you where you are. And um, Amy's testimony, see, the power of a testimony is God will do it again. That's what, that, actually, it's built into the very definition of what a testimony is. So God will, God will do it again. Um, when I was in college, uh, I had a girlfriend my freshman year and she was still in high school and she had gone to a place called the Lamb's Chapel and the Lord had really, really touched her life. And there was an evangelist who was preaching at West Mecklenburg high school in their auditorium. They don't even let you do that in schools anymore. It's crazy, but um, and I, I didn't really want to go, but, um, she wanted me to go. So I went and when I went, um, the Lord started messing with me. And, um, so when he called, he had an altar call. Well, I, I, I felt something I hadn't felt before. So I went forward and. At a given point, I had an, just a, like a power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And in this case, I began to weep. And um, it could have been embarrassing, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really embarrassed. But um, I was never the same. I don't mean I became perfect. I was still pretty much a mess in a lot of different areas of my life, but something happened to me in that encounter with the Holy Spirit where there was an aspect of transformation that began to take take place in my life. Um, it was an emotional encounter. I'm not saying they all have to be. Um, they don't. But I felt clean. I felt empowered. The Bible became a living book to me. And I had been a Christian. I had been a Christian. But after that encounter, it's like, and people have said this sort of a trite, trite saying, but it's like I knew the author now, and it's like he and I could read his book together. And I became hungry for spiritual things like I had never been before. I became more spiritually sensitive. The Lord began to speak to me prophetically. 
I felt loved. I felt refreshed. And I was so excited about what happened, I went home and told my parents and it scared them to death. I remember telling my dad what happened. Uh, he and mom were laying up in bed. He was reading the paper. I was sitting on a stool down to the bottom of the bed. Just, I was so fired up. She's not going to believe what happened. I've been going to church all my life. They took me. Nothing ever happened. So you're not going to believe what happened. Well, what happened? I told him. He went, uh, okay. And then he said this most profound statement. He said, well, son, if you're going to get caught anywhere, church is as good a place as any. <laughs> That's what my dad said. <laughs> so... My dad was a really good man, too. I said, Dad, I met this girl. I want to get married. What do you, what's your, what do you think? He said, well, son, we really like her, but let me tell you something. So what's that? He said, uh, you make your choices, you take your chances. <laughs> I'd do it all over again. <laughs> That's right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stand and um, let's just pray. The Bible says Jesus is the one who fills us with the Holy Spirit. And I actually think I can stand too. Won't that be awesome? Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling better and better. Thank you for praying. Maybe one of the reasons my time. How many of you actually prayed for us this week? I mean, wow, man, it was so meaningful. Thank you, Jesus. Let's do this. How many of you may have something similar going on in your life that uh, Amy, Amy had? Anybody? Yeah, just wave, wave. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Oh, what, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, it could happen today. It could happen immediately. But let me say this. It's going to happen. Let's say this. God's going to touch my life. Let's say that together. Let's ex- express what God's going to touch my life. God's going to touch that place in me I need touched. God's going to touch that place in me I need for him to touch. So, Holy Spirit, let's just pray this together. Let's, let's speak to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, uh, we're, we're asking that you would fill us again with the Holy Spirit. Lord, touch our lives. Touch our lives, Lord. Lord, let your power come. Yes. Express your kindness, your goodness, your love, and your power in us now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. You have gotten such a terrible reputation in the world, Lord, but you're good. Let your power be expressed, Lord. Let your transformation come. Let's, let's, let's just thank him. Let's just offer him some appreciation. Let's give him a landing pad for what he wants to do today by our thanksgiving and our gratefulness. Yes, we thank you, Lord. We're so grateful. You're such a good father. Even when we don't realize it, we just, we just say you're a good, good. You're a good, good father. 
You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.